Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Um, hey, I did hear a story yesterday that you you and Father Tom Boharic would prank call Father Tom Byrne. Yes. Okay, do you remember the time that you and I were hanging out in Father Tom Byrne's room and he told a story about getting a call about a credit card from a dude, or about a dude who lived in his room before him? Mm-hmm. I do you remember hearing... Well, that's the exact prank that we pulled on him. Okay, he told that story like it was real. And he was like, yeah, that guy, he was into some weird stuff. <laughs> Do you remember that? Does he know that was a re- that was a prank call? He does know that that was a prank call. He had to because we went in and laughed at him. Maybe he's remembering... Oh. He might be remembering uh, situations that I was dealing with as his next-door neighbor, as his own. Because there was a... Um, a guy from Poland who had come, who had lived in my room like two or three guys previous to me. Um, and I used to get calls from collection agencies. Like he had left that, that number as his, and they were the re the way we got the idea for the prank call of Tom was these calls that I used to get from these collection agencies where they would like try to trick you into admitting that you were somebody, you know, and I'd be like, look, I'm not this guy. I never owned any property, you know, in Seattle or whatever. Like it was, they were collecting on some property that he had defaulted on in Seattle or somewhere in Washington. I'm like, I don't own any property. This is a <laughs> seminary bedroom. And uh, so we thought it'd be funny because we knew the guy who had lived in Tom's room before him. Oh, yeah, because they used to have landlines in the rooms. Like even when we got yeah. here, I yeah. forgot about oh, yeah. them for a year. You don't so. have them anymore? No, they've been gone for a few years. Yeah, probably three. You're kidding yeah. me. So there's no voice. Oh, we on. did have them. We had them when we were on three north, too. I think that was the last year. Yeah. So maybe like right after you left. You know what that reminds me of, though, was when Kyle Mano was getting those calls. Oh, my God. Were you on the cam when that was happening? Oh, my gosh. Remind me of that story. Dude, I, like no one ever figured it out, but this girl kept... and. He would show me the call log, and it would be like 30 to 40 times a day. Yeah. And she kept thinking that he was this guy named Kevin. And she'd be like, yo, Kevin. And Kyle would be like, ma'am, her name was Kim. I think he'd be like, That Kim, is right. I forgot We've been over this. this over and over. I'm not Kevin. I don't. And then she'd be like, put Kevin on the phone. <laughs> oh, my she God. She would leave him the long, long, long voicemails. Yeah. But it was amazing because it was one of those I forgot situ- about that. Oh my god. It was one gosh. of those situations where a guy like it, it was inconvenient what was happening to him, but what it created in his life was something that he totally enjoyed. Oh, yeah. no, it he, was the perfect person for it to happen. He exactly. loved it. He loved it. He would talk about like the dread of it. Like, "Oh my gosh, this is so annoying." With this huge grin on his face. Like just, he got a kick out of it, dude. Kyle said that once he said he wanted to write a book called these things don't happen to normal people or something like i forget what the title was but it's something like that where i don't know if it's the person at 
what did Ira Glass say on This American Life? He quoted somebody as saying, good, ha- good people or good stories happen to people who know how to tell them or something like that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I don't know who said it. it it's kind of true. Like Kyle was such a master at dramatizing the thing that had happened to him. I remember him telling a story of his pants splitting at a dance thing. (laughs) And it was like the, uh, I was belly laughing. It was so funny, but normally you could tell that story in five sentences and it wouldn't be that funny. But that, that call thing was so outrageous that this woman kept calling and leaving these. Wasn't it like she was worried that he was cheating on her or something like that? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. or like her boyfriend was hanging out with Kevin or something like that. Yeah, there was some intrigue that was going on. Yeah. But <laughs> I I heard a story from him one time. This is not a joke. And I think it, it does get to your point is he got trapped in a van in like a huge moving van at an accordion <laughs> convention. <laughs> for <laughs> <laughs> for hours he's trapped inside the van he was trapped in the back of a van like like a huge moving van that would have a bunch of instruments in it. oh like you can't open it from the inside right like a big u-haul yeah like a u-haul and he somehow got trapped in there for hours at an accordion convention <laughs> or so yeah it was absurd <coughs> who what it who did how does that happen? <laughs> How does and he was talking about like it was this obvious a traumatic experience. <laughs> oh my gosh, he no one could hear him because everyone was playing, <laughs> playing accordion. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So he was just stuck in darkness. <laughs> that's that's my nightmare. For like six hours. You're stuck in isolation. <laughs> yet you're still overwhelmed by the sound of accordions playing. That's hell. <laughs> Do you have a cold, Mike? Yeah, I do. It won't go away. Grolo won't fix it. Hmm. All right, well, my coffee's done. Let's pray. Do it, man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Relax. So, how are you guys doing? So good. So good. Yeah, dude, for real. I don't know if that was like a like blow off question or not but it's been just a great week it's like i was praying sometime the last few days it was a whirlwind because i was back at the at the parish for the weekend and got back yesterday evening but anyway it uh it's just been awesome like go i think in my journal it's like walking around this campus has been like walking in a ghost story for me but in like the best sense of just like these places that have had just like such an impact on my life. So it's like remembering it's similar to what we talked about last time, not to harp on that too much again, but just like remembering, um, yeah, different like big significant things that happened in my life at certain places and just how much like this place has formed me and the guys here and everything. Um, so it continues to be very good Hmm. this fall. Plus, you had a yeah, nice, nice visit from uh, the coolest guy ever last week. DMAC was up on the camp. Yeah, DMAC <laughs> visited. Who else yep. visited? Uh-huh. Burn. really the only significant... No, yeah, it's good to see you, bro dog. Uh, yeah. Yeah, watch, watch some tennis. Watch some that tennis. Was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we did watch some tennis. That was a lot of fun, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a similar experience where just kind of a lot of gratitude for the history of this place and my time here. Um, just going to confession with Father Gus. And it was, it's, I think, the most classic Mundelein experience of all time. <laughs> like, I hadn't been to confession in, you know, too long. And I didn't want to wait until the confession times were available. So I just ran into Father Gus and said, hey, are you available at all in your office today? And he was like, yeah, I'll be there all day because I'm Father Gus and I'm always <laughs> available to you. Right. He just, yeah, it was so amazing. And then you just pop by and um, he welcomed me in just like he welcomed me in when I was a pre-theology student and sat there, how's it going? And took his time and um, had a beautiful confession. It was really amazing. And I just sat there and told him, like, thank you for your vocation and being here. Uh, you know, we're kind of nearing towards the end. And you've he has done that exact same thing for six straight years of me being here and 24 before that. <laughs> That's amazing. So he just sits there and he reads, doesn't he, in his office all the time. <laughs> and he's just always there. Like, in, if you wanted to drop by, he faces all- the faces the door. He always faces the door. Yeah. yeah. See, he's in the faculty building now. He's not on the main drag. Yeah. So I don't know if oh. he's there as much as he he was. But when he was on the main drag, it was, I mean, probably four times out of five. Like he'd be sitting there reading or somebody would be like in there chatting with him or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. I've never in all of my time here at Mundelein had the experience of I need to talk to Father Gus and I can't find him. Right. Like, he's just, he is always always there for us well case in point when i wanted to record the interludes for this podcast <laughs> i just went downstairs with the microphone and my computer and was like can you read these lines and he's like okay relax <laughs> and i remember the one i just i showed him the lines i typed out and one of them was uh sheep go to heaven goats go to hell or not sheep go to uh, dogs go to heaven goats go to hell. sheep go that's a line from a cake song yeah, um, which is a reference to Matthew 25, which I always thought was kind of funny. Um, and then I just replace it with dogs. But I don't use it anymore because um, a listener, I think Betsy Lobmeyer. Oh. Did you see that email from her? Yeah, that's like been probably a while. two years ago, maybe. That's been a while ago. That she yeah. about her child. That they're farmers and they listen in the car. With, and the kids over here, and the, and one of her kids asked, like, why do goats go to hell? I like goats, or something like that. So there may have been one time that I used the interlude, but just the dogs go to heaven part. But anyways, hmm. but anyways, I had Father Gus record those things, and I was like, at first I was explaining what a podcast was, but then I realized it doesn't really matter. He would, <laughs> he trusts me. He would do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And here we are four years later still using Three Dogs North, our Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. <laughs> Michael Metz. Yeah. Does it still have like the, what did we end it with, the Major League Baseball thing? Yeah. It's like. Yeah, that was the other thing. Express written consent of Major League Baseball. Yes. He's the perfect guy to read that line too because he's so deadpan. Yeah. <laughs> he celebrated Mass and preached today. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, just another like exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is so wonderful. I was actually thinking that today in mass, if you go and look at his ordination picture, like he basically looks, it's the exact same look. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He just Gray looks hair. older. I mean, he's got black hair. Yeah. yeah. 
Dark, dark hair. And you know, you know what I really admire about. He's Father timeless. Cross? He's timeless. Exactly, and he. You can set your watch to him. He Oof. is in the chapel every day at the same time. I don't know when he gets there because he would always be there before me, and I assume he just. And he always has his hand in the same exact position on his chin, <laughs> sitting there in the chapel meditating. And I, I want to know how that's done, like. Because I just cannot, I can't get it together in terms of like getting, and we've talked about this before too, getting to bed on time, getting up on time, like having a routine. And it's just, it's just a matter of a decision. Like I'm sure one day he just decided, like anybody who does this, that this is going to be my routine and I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to decide. I'm just going to do this. You know, I'm going to bed at this time. I'm getting up at this time. I'm eating at this time. I'm, you know. Well, when we were out at Bishop Barron's ordination, I don't know if you remember this. This was after like the dinner. And so like the Mundelein crowd is kind of saying goodbye. I think most of us were flying out the next day, probably. And I was talking to Father Gus there. And I was like, oh, when are you flying out tomorrow, Father? And he, and he laughed. And he was like, oh, no, I have the red eye tonight. I have class in the morning. And so here's this, like, he's technically... Like, we had a retirement party for him a few yeah. years ago, <laughs> and he seems to be doing, like, the it's exact same workload yeah. that he had. I guess he doesn't, like, completely run the pre-theology department anymore. But anyway, but he had class. It's like, if anybody at the seminary would have, like, just no one would balk at him canceling class for a day. For Bishop Barron's ordination. Because he was in Los Angeles yeah. at dinner the night before, yeah. like this 9 a.m. class. It would have been fun. He could have canceled it for like two weeks and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, I know it makes sense. Like, Father Gus, you yeah. know, we trust him. Mm-hmm. But he had class the next day. So as opposed to like sleeping at the hotel and getting up at, you know, 8 o'clock and flying out at noon, which everybody else did, he caught like an 11.30 p.m. flight and was in the classroom the next morning. I bet you was in the chapel the next morning before. Oh, I guarantee he was there. Mm -hmm. Yep. I bet he was there for morning prayer mass and then just went and like taught his class like, like was planned. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. But you know, how does that happen? Like, yeah, to your question, Connor, how does a person, how does a soul get to be that where I honestly, like you said, I bet it's, he just made a choice one day where I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to do these things and this is how I'm going to live my life. I I would not be surprised. And I think it's what Aristotle, when he talks about the virtuous man, is like the virtuous man just does it. Everyone else is striving to be virtuous. I wouldn't be surprised if that was Father Gus. If like he just, he just lives his life consistently on this, not just like a schedule, but like his soul is disposed to always being available. I don't know. He doesn't. It's it's like he does. He's not working at it. That's just who he is. He's just. Why would I miss class? Like, what's the right mindset too? Him and I were. He's my spiritual director, and we were talking the last time. He was just asking about like how preaching was going and all this stuff, and I was telling him, you know, and I was like, one thing I really noticed over the summer was that homily prep took me longer than anticipated. And I kind of laughed and I was like, yeah, it's just I either have like no ideas and just have no idea what to say or I have like 10 ideas and way too much to like try to work in there. And usually it's the latter. And he's kind of and he's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And it was, you know, coming from him, it just meant so much more. But he was like, just be like very patient and 
like one thing at a time in your preaching. And he's like, the great thing about being a priest is that like three years from now, you can go back and make that second point you wanted to when it comes around again in the lectionary. <laughs> wow. And I was like, that's it, man. Like, that's it. And uh, I don't know. Isn't that cool? That totally is it. That's like a perfect <laughs> allegory for everything that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect allegory for all things. All things. <laughs> That patient, slow, just like don't don't get too worked up about it. There's plenty of time, and and the Aristotle thing, like you are, you most frequently do. See what freaks me out about it. What, why I resist uh, living my life with that kind of consistency is the fear of boredom or monotony. Mm. You know, or some dumb fear of like. Not being able to, I guess the way, the way I experience it is, uh, the worst of both worlds. Like what I often end up choosing is, uh, to not engage the like worldly pleasures, you know, but also not completely detach myself from them. Does that make sense? Like I, I know, so. I know it's not permitted for me and I've made, you know, I've made commitments in my life that mean I, I in some ways have like detached myself from the world and what it has to offer in terms of comfort, like natural comforts, not necessarily sin things, but you know, like natural worldly sensual pleasures that would be permissible in certain states of life. I have renounced yet at the same time, like the temptation is to do it like in half measures where, well, I can still stay up late and watch too much TV, you know, or, or this or that. Like, I feel like sainthood is just a decision away, like a hearty renunciation of just all of that stuff, you know? Um, You know, like, what does it mean to be a saint? Is it just decide to be one? You know what I mean? Did somebody say that? A saint? Mother Teresa or something like that? Oh, yeah. I don't know who, though. I was reading The Practice of the Presence of God recently, and it it felt like kind of a turning point for me. Um, you know, I haven't been three years into the priesthood and stuff, and um, I feel like every few years I have some kind of, not a crisis, but some kind of crucible or, or conversion moment, you know, like IPF was, I think three years or maybe two years into the seminary. Hmm. I always feel like I, I, now I get it, you know, now I've, I've got the thing that's going to get me on to the rest for the rest of my life. And then something happens where I'm like, Oh, this, this system doesn't actually account for every thing in reality, you know, like, Oh yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so your experience informs your, your perception of experience and, this practice of the presence of God, like, was so simple. You have ever heard of it, Brother Lawrence? I've not read it, Brother but Lawrence. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I guess he's from the 1600s, a French guy. Yeah, my sister-in-law is huge on that. Yeah, some people Brother get it. And he's kind of widely read, not just in Catholic circles, too, because it's, it's pretty universal spirituality. Right, right. Um, anyways, he... 
brief bio is that he was a peasant in the time of the Thirty Years' War in Europe after the Reformation and the you know the religious wars where some countries were going Protestant and some were staying Catholic and they were fighting about it. And so he was a soldier in that war for France. He got injured, ended up joining the Discalced Carmelites, I think, um, some cloistered order, and just practiced his, his whole spirituality was the practice of the presence of God. In other words, just trying uh, to remain always attentive to God's presence uh, in action and in prayer. Uh, and if he ever were to like forget that God, he was in God's presence to just return to that. Like, like it's, it was at first is hard and then became easy, like any virtue or exercise or practice. Um, and he said that the thing that really struck me, these are just like 13 letters that he wrote and maybe six conversations that were written down. I mean, they're hmm. 400 years old. Um, a very simple, I imagine they're translated from Latin or, or French or something, but you can read it in a sitting. But the thing that really popped out to me was he said, it all consists in one, making one hearty renunciation of everything you sense does not draw you closer to God. And that uh, that really excited me, but it also scared me because it wasn't like it it was a renunciation of everything drawing you away from God. It was a renunciation of everything that's not drawing you to him. Hmm. Do you get the difference? Like why that to me, it makes so much of a difference because now you're you're saying like. You're asking the question, not in an erotic or obsessive way about every little thing you do or or want or stuff like that but there at any given time i can count five things that distract me you know that i'm that i'm attending to that are not necessary you know twitter or Mm -hmm. or whatever uh that are not drawing me any closer to god in fact they're distracting me from the fact that i'm in god's presence you know and he's saying like he he you know he worked he was the cook in the cloister so he would he sometimes had to attend to things that weren't prayer but he would just before he had to do anything active he would make an intention to do this for the glory of God. And then as soon as he was done, return to that sort of meditative. He wasn't a super educated guy. He wasn't a, he didn't, he never went to seminary, became a priest or anything. Um, but trying that for just a couple of days, like just really being attentive to, okay, I want to do this or I want to read that or I want to sit and watch TV or watch a football game or, and to really like a, actually ask the question to recognize that God is standing right in front of me, uh, trying to give me joy. And I often choose lesser things and maybe I should stop choosing those things and actually choose the greater thing, which is to attend to him and receive what he wants to give me. But that often costs you like creature comforts. Just practicing that for like three days made me think, boy, if heaven means you're always in the presence of God, that is a lot that might be a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot more intense. I can see why you'd need purgatory to get to that. It's not just like you have all of the creature comforts you could ever possibly imagine and there's never anything hard. Being in the presence of God is intense. You know? <clears throat> and what Yeah, I, I mean, I relate it and I'm sure you know ahead. different like moments in life, but when you were talking, it just took me back um, to the experience of the 30 day exercises, which was 
like very similar to how you worded it is um it was oh man it was so awesome like the rhythm you get into and everything but it was super intense i mean there's moments like some of the biggest graces for me on that on those exercises were exactly that like just like saying yes to staying where i was but not because it was like necessarily running from some darkness or anything like that it was just so much it was so intense um this love that you experienced that i don't now that's a question like what is it in us that makes you want to run from that like i do not know the answer to that but that was certainly present it seemed to be like similar to um what you're saying with like his spirituality too bis was um like God's the revelation of God's love is constantly around us and everything that we do and experience. And yeah, I mean, to be really attuned to that, that's a everything, like every breath has meaning mm-hmm. then and there's no getting away from it. And sometimes you're just like, well, I'd rather <laughs> just turn on some like 90s hip hop and veg out uh, or whatever, you know, drink a beer or do, you know, and not not that any of that stuff is not, is, is not permitted. Right. In this spirituality, but it, it, it just begs the question. Like you have to ask the question, like, is, is this what God wants right now? Is this the, just watching tennis with you guys up there was, it was something, um, qualitatively different than if, if I like last yesterday afternoon, after a long day, I had three masses and, just a lot of like little minutia stuff that was distracting and annoying. Um, water heaters and blah, 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 things breaking and needing to be fixed and needing to talk about these things. And I had left myself the nice surprise that I DVR'd the bear game. And so I watched, I'd forgotten that I'd done that. So I watched the bears game, which was actually kind of exciting. Even though, even though they lost, they looked pretty good. But then I thought, okay, now I should just turn off the TV and go pray or work out or do something else, like get up and do, but I just couldn't get myself to turn the dang TV off. And I ended up watching the whole next game, which was the Packers versus the Seahawks, which I didn't care about. And um, then I did end up going going to the church and doing a holy hour and, and everything. But just that little, what is that that makes me not that makes you choose to watch a a football game that you really don't care about. You know what I mean? Versus contrast that to the experience of being with you guys watching tennis. Like I didn't care about the tennis, but what was great about that was that I was with you guys and relating to you. And, and that was like authentic. Sure. Uh, That's when that makes sense to do that. But just sitting there and watching two teams that I don't care about by myself just made me not feel that great, but I chose it. Do you get what I'm saying? I think so. What is that about? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the whole YouTube vortex thing. Dude. Yeah, totally. I I got in a YouTube vortex last night. It, Dang it! Would you mind sharing what it was about? Well, it was <clears throat> similar. If I may, uh, kind of relate it back to your story, Bisque. Uh, my mom had either texted me or called me, and she I don't know where she found it, but there's this 2015 speech by Lou Holtz at Franciscan University. Yeah, I've have seen you seen it. this? Yeah, it's no, great. I, you, I remember you telling me about it. It is, it was awesome, like absolutely awesome. And so he gets like an honorary doctorate. I'm assuming it's their graduation. And 
that was actually that was really great like it was 20 minutes or something and um like i jotted down like a couple notes from it and it was just very endearing because it was holtz and all this stuff and and then like like my whole family had pretty much watched it so they were texting like how good it was and all this stuff was that the one where he said if you want to be happy for a day eat a steak if you want to be happy for a week like yep buy a car or something he, he talks about like he makes five assumptions like talking to the kids he's talking to and he, and he says, I mean, he's just, he's very good. He's like, you know, remember I've been 21, you haven't been 78 and like all this <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. and he makes five assumptions that like, they want to be happy. They want to be like this, this, and this. And he, it's just like spot on. And then he just talks about like the three rules of his life <laughs> that he's lived by, which is, oh gosh, what was it? It's like, um, like do wh- whatever you're doing, do your best, show people you care and do the right thing. And he just like expounded on each one. Uh, like very very good but a little bit i mean more disconnected from watching tennis in the cam room which was very nice like just to get some hangout time uh but there was still this like i don't know just like bonding um thing between it but then like all this other stuff comes up on youtube so i ended up watching it for it wasn't that long my youtube vortexes are pretty condensed it was probably Mm -hmm. 30 minutes or that's not youtube vortex um (laughs) well yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. No, that's a reasonable. That's a whirlpool. <laughs> reasonable use of time. Yeah, but anyway, it was just the the point is is it was like, um, yeah, it was it was markedly different between the Holtz video and then even the thirty minutes mm. of like wasted time on just other stuff that that came up. It was like coaches' speeches or something, something like that. It just wasn't, um, yeah, wasn't worth the time, frankly. Well, yeah, it didn't it didn't refresh me. It didn't um, anything, anything like that. It didn't didn't have it. Yeah, dude, I I have no idea what that thing is. Like, why? Because it's either you can't say no or you're not saying yes to to the thing that you're supposed to move on to. And I think that's really that's what makes me sad when I look back on it and I do regret, um, like not not getting up and saying yes to the next thing. Cause I think that's really where the Lord's invitation is. Um, but it makes me think we had to do this reconciliation bulletin for reconciliation practicum. And we were at the parish this past, I was at the parish this past weekend and stepped into a class and was kind of on the spot asked to talk about reconciliation. And, uh, one of the stories that I always go back to, to relate to the kids and their youngsters kind of getting along and trying to figure out, like how, why we even need to tell our sins to other people and um, like what does sin look like or like what is doing something wrong at that age look like, kind of getting that concept of right and wrong there. And I always tell this story where when we were in the basement and I use it for this Bolton article, we were in the basement hanging out, just having some bro time and all of a sudden like this big aerobics workout ball, you know, that are like so fun and rarely used for aerobics. <laughs> appears in the basement don't know where it came from but there it is and my younger brother jp is just bouncing on the bed like spring in and he declares that he's gonna fly off the bed and do a seat drop on the aerobics ball and then go flying solid jp yeah it's (laughs) a display of acrobatic excellence and uh and so we're all like oh yeah dude great idea totally (laughs) totally woo do it and he takes off man i mean it is like it was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> it was amazing. Like he was all in on this thing. There was no. He wasn't going halfway. Head to the ceiling. 
like way up there, legs per- parallel <laughs> with the ground, like beautiful, <laughs> beautiful form. And he's maybe 10. Like, he was pretty young. I was in high school or somewhere <laughs> around there. And we're all just watching him in his glory. And I remember, dude, I remember him stuck in midair. Me, just I, my plan was to watch him hit and go flying. And in a split second, the thought just came, what if I just tap this ball? <laughs> what if I just gave it a little tap, taparuski right there? And those things are so, they're, they're just so elastic. So, I mean, you just got to like barely touch it. Yeah. And it just shot right out of the way. So there he is, defenseless, hung and suspended in midair. He was five feet off the ground at least, like at my height. And I just barely kicked the ball, and he, <laughs> oh, God. And he, he did a huge seat drop oh, on. Oh my God! It, the the floor was only carpet. It was like concrete with carpet over it, and it was horrific. Like oh. the thud that he made, and the air immediately was knocked out of him. And he was like trying to breathe, and I thought I broke my brother's back. Oh my gosh! And he finally caught his breath. And I, you know, I, like I asked for his forgiveness and, and then he was very quick to give me forgiveness. And, um, and I just remember the moments, like a, a couple of moments, one, not realizing where that came from. Like, why did I just do that? I had no plan to do that. But like the, the thought came to me when he was suspended in midair to kick that ball. I, there was no, um, like premeditated, malicious aggression that was going on there i just thought it would be hilarious mm-hmm. and then and the feeling when i expected to laugh and i was horrified because i thought i broke his back and thanks be to god he was totally okay um and and so just like how quickly that situation flipped one but then like really being perplexed at why i did that you know and like why can't i why can't i get up off the couch why can't i turn off the tv why would I kick a ball out of the way <laughs> as my brother is suspended in midair to like possibly break his tailbone? Like where that thing comes from and how, like why I responded the way that I do um, and the way that I did. I have no, like that's where you go back to I think the father Oaks point. Like sin, original sin is the only thing that is empirically provable. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's... Throughout, throughout human history. And I mean, it just comes up time and time again and, it's irrefutable. We've been in. I was thinking that's a great story, JP. <laughs> shout out, dude. JP. Uh, he'll, yeah. I mean, we all, rem- we all. That was an epic moment in Mets history. Of like, <laughs> what? It was so unexpected too. Like, yeah. I didn't even see it coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I relate in like multiple stories of that feeling of like, why? What did I just do? Yeah. What I mean, have I you, done you, examines on it, but seriously, it's just like even smaller stuff than that. It's like why did i do that what is that thing why did i say that why did i react sure that way? yeah yeah and uh but i i was even thinking of um i was thinking of the movie um goodwill hunting oh, yeah. and like that's my favorite what's one of my favorite lines from a movie ever it's like i had to go see about a girl when he's talking about not going to the like the carlton fisk red sox game do you guys remember that scene of course dude it's, it's one of the you would know is that this the scene. final scene? <clears throat> no, no, it's early. No, on. It's when he's kind of like winning over his trust, and he's talking about how much he loves his wife. This is Robin Williams. Yeah, and he's talking about it, it. Like I can't remember the year, but Red Sox are in the playoffs, and 
like the Carlton Fisk home run where he's waving at fair, like one of the most iconic oh, yeah, baseball yeah, yeah, moments yeah. ever. And the character in the movie, Robin Williams, has tickets to that game. But he met his future wife at a bar, and so he didn't go. Yeah. And Matt Damon, like, freaks out. He's like, well, you, you had tickets to that game, and you didn't go. And Robin Williams, this whole thing is like, the line is, I had to go see about a girl. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I haven't regretted that decision, like, uh, for a second right. since then. And so you can kind of, like, flip even the question is, <clears throat> like, those moments where, yeah, it is exactly that of, like, why did I just do that thing? But for me, it's sometimes more acute to say, like, why didn't I do that thing? Like, so so often, like, the missed opportunities or um, whatever. But I don't know. That's just how, it, like, how I kind of framed it. Even amongst that story, it's like, I, not to, I guess we're just going on a little Matt Damon <laughs> kick. But the movie, uh, I guess the movie, We Bought a Zoo, of all things. But he talks about in there, like, his story of how he met his wife as he just, like, went up to her one day. Mm -hmm. And, like, the line there is, like, 30 seconds of just, like, kind of raw, absolutely reckless courage can change the course of your whole life. And I think, like, the story, I don't mm. know if it's, if it, it, I don't know if that's, like, his real story of the character. But how they play it in the movie <clears throat> is that he was just walking by a coffee shop and thought this girl was really beautiful and, like, went up and just told her that and um like asking if she if he could have a cup of coffee with her and they ended up getting married and yeah. all this stuff and he's like you know i was like so nervous i was almost sick but i just did it yeah. it's like 30 seconds of just reckless courage can change the course of your whole life and I mean, you can re relate that of like yeah if we had that 30 seconds of just reckless raw courage could change church history you know in some small or big context right. or whatnot yeah yeah and i think there's also like when when looking at it and I, this honestly it comes from experience of just like reminding myself to not be neurotic about it but there's there's like a because it's also the thing that makes life beautiful is to be able to look back and say man like why did i do that thing or why didn't i do that thing and so instead of looking at what what's changed over seminary is instead of that being a really painful process it's actually become a um, like a peaceful, more joyful process. Uh, and I think that's, well, it, it, it's important to foster because then it allows you the freedom to actually live a reflective life, which is like, that's, that's kind of the beauty of living in the presence of God is receiving his love in a way that invites you forward to, to grow and to change and to become who you're created to be in this process of of life, you know? Um, but that's something in seminary, like I used to hate I, growing up. I, I did very little reflection. Uh, and I think a lot of it was me, you know, running from that was running from that encounter with God where he would invite me to change and I didn't want to change. And so I just wouldn't reflect. But then, cause I think a big part of your living in the presence of God, that whole practice is when he says, give up everything that doesn't lead you closer to God. Uh, that's another way of saying like, give up the little things. Give me all of your life has to be towards working towards growing in relationship with God. And anything that's not facilitating that is, is not going to have a place in your life. That's very, very radical. 
And that can be uh, and it freaks me out. Yeah, that can be a super, super freaky thing, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't, because there's also a balance where like all the little things count. And yeah, every moment is encapsulated. All things, all things are within the grasp and the scope of God. If they exist, obviously God is present there. But we don't have to be neurotic about it. And mm-hmm. so whatever that balance is that, that comes into play where every moment counts and yet it's like it, every moment doesn't count on you. Every moment um, is a gift from the Lord. So like there's, there's just a balance where you live a reflective life where all the little things do count, but not so much that it drives you insane. <laughs> or you, you, yeah, at least you look at them well so that it doesn't drive you crazy because you can you that's scrupulosity or oh yeah, yeah. definitely neurotic um i was kind of rambling but yeah, i got I, I got that way on my 30 day too i got i got a little neurotic about like hmm. a, absolutely everything every decision everywhere i walked or did you know because <clears throat> you are so attuned to god's presence and his interest in you um that you're like well, what does he want me to do now or now or now or, you know? Yeah. Um, well, he he wants you to be, he wants you to be free, you know? Um, yeah, not not a slave. So to some extent it's, it's, it's a practice. That's why I like that word practice and and why it connected to the father Gus example that it seems like he, um, practices that so that he doesn't have to decide, you know, like that reckless courage thing, is great, but you don't just get courageous all of a sudden, right? You know, you you live your life that way, making decisions that cost you comfort and things like that's how you become brave um, and do do the hard things when it counts. Like martyrs have died to themselves every day in order to be ready for the moment when they actually have to die for their faith. You know. Um. You know, maybe, hey, th- and sometimes, this I'm, come- sometimes I'm not even willing to turn off the computer for my faith. <laughs> you know, how am I ever going to be ready to die for my faith? So, yeah, no, this story's coming to mind about, I get, well, I guess some of this stuff, but when I was in high school and I was a sophomore, I started um, as the quarterback for our high school football team. Okay, okay, we I was, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. This, so this totally relates. Yeah, we won the state championship. Yeah, yeah. And no, that's the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went on one state. No, no, no. Um, yeah. So I remember the first time that like the weight of that, cause I didn't really know. I was just, you know, I, I guess I hadn't given it much consideration on, uh, like a social level of like, wow, you're the quarterback of the football team. That's just kind of how it was. But then when homecoming was coming down the tracks, it was important for the school, but then it was also important for the region. And so like a lot of the weight of this position started to come to mind and, and started to weigh on me. And I started to get worried, like, what if I mess up? And, uh, you know, all the things that come with that. And I remember it was the, the whole week leading up to it. You got homecoming dance, this big deal. And, and I got so neurotic in this quid pro quo with God where like everything that I did that week, I was in a bargaining match with the Lord of like, Lord, if I'm perfect this week, you have to win homecoming for us. <laughs> and I was, it was spotless. 
went to confession, went to daily mass. I'm talking about like I was doing everything so that we would win this homecoming match. We got our butts kicked, dude. <laughs> I played I played so bad. It was one of one of my least favorite games of all time, Gatewood. Mm-hmm. We got our butts kicked 2006. It was terrible. Um, and I remember after the game coming back and just being like really upset with the Lord of like, I did everything I was supposed to for you mm-hmm. and you abandoned me and like I threw a pick. I think I threw two picks that game. It was awful. And I just went down into the basement after the game and turned all the lights off and just moped down there. And I remember my dad coming down and being like, Mike, get over yourself, dude. Like, <laughs> that's seriously what he told me. He said, just get over yourself and come up and hang out with the family. And I was like, no, you don't even know. You don't even know, dad. This is awful. And he just, yeah, I don't know. My dad coming down and just telling me that it was, it was good for me to hear. It was challenging, but... I would have stayed down there and moped all night and he kind of forced me to go up and spend time with the family. And, um, but I had that, I had that neurotic week. I mean, it was driving me nuts and, um, yeah. I, it's interesting. Um, I relate when you were telling that story, even like a little bit, I mean, that's, that's real stuff. Like when you're 14 or 15 years old or whatnot, I don't want to downplay that, but, uh, but I've noticed that in a similar sense of, yeah, I kind of get whatever that thing is, but uh, just a couple of times when like we've lost family members when they've died and almost always, um, I don't know, like especially my mom is just like really good at being able to navigate those situations with like other family members. And um, I, sh- I remember one specifically um, where like my uncle had, you know, passed away that day and like we all went back after um to to their house and like my cousins were there just lost their dad and one of them just wanted to be like alone for a while which you know totally understandable was in a room and um anyway i just remember like after a while uh like my mom went and got her and like made her come out just for a little bit like we had gotten food and stuff like that and I just remember that was really impactful at the time because it's like I just had no idea what to do, and somehow like yeah, just the grace of God, like my mom did this kind of like wisdom of her years, you know. And uh, but it was similar. It was like even in that situation, like hardest day, you know, a teenager can imagine. Like and uh, and she just went and got her. It's like no, like come with me right now like you need to eat and like you need to be with us for an hour and then you can come back in here but you're not going to stay and it was so it wasn't an option it was like this is what's going to happen um and i i don't know i i don't know what that thing is right because that's the flip side like what is that thing i don't know how does she know that i don't know i have no idea connor do you know no, all I'm thinking, I've got my thoughts racing, but it just seems to me like the the whole practice thing. And this is what's funny is that like when I was in college, part of what attracted me to the faith um, and getting deep into it was the kind of carrot on the stick of like, I'm going to be perfect. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be super virtuous and disciplined and ripped because I'm working out and like <laughs> intelligent because I'm reading and and like setting these goals and doing doing the right like it was a prosperity kind of gospel sort of way of thinking that this is just the best way to live and it's going to make your life rock yeah you know, hey, hey just on that thought 
I thought when I came to seminary, I was going to turn into a superhuman. Yeah. Because you're doing all the right things. Yeah, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to be the same exact idol of your now. Now I'm ripped. Quarterback. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, All I really am is completely swole and yoked. (laughs) Yeah. And yet, yet still spiritually so flabby. (laughs) Yeah. Trim the fat, baby. Sorry Uh, to interrupt. No, but then the the epiphany moment when I really felt like priesthood, I could do because that that way of thinking is just so exhausting and. Um, ultimately you despair because you, because we are sinners and we can't be perfect. Like no program, whether it involves the sacraments or just simple, you know, Benjamin Franklin type of virtue practice, um, uh, from a secular point of view, like the grace of God doesn't work to on your terms, you know, God has his timeline and his plan and hit and part of him saving you is using your weaknesses to make you realize you need him. And so IPF was huge for me because then it was, it was all about the relationship with God that he, his approval of me is prior to my growing in virtue or imitation of Christ or whatever you want to call it. Like I could be the worst sinner. I could have, I could have just lived my life in the most shameful possible way that I felt like a worm in his eyes and he would still love me the same exact amount and way. Uh, That is what really drives a person to change, I think, Um, to be worthy of that love, you know, to respond to it rather than to earn it or to do it yourself. Yet at the same time, now I'm realizing like that, that can breed a sort of complacency too, you know? Um, so feeling like now more aware of the fact that it, 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 it's this dynamic, this mysterious grace dynamic of cooperation with grace where you, you actually need to put yourself in a position to receive it. You know, you can't just take it for granted just because he loves you. No matter what you do, you still have to, um, stop doing things that draw you away from him and start doing things that draw you toward him. Uh, and so yeah, it, it's just like the, you know, like your mom knowing the right thing to do in that situation is because she has a habit of doing the right thing when it's hard, yeah. you know, and the reason why and like has been there before in ways that other people hadn't, you know, of mm-hmm. like, it's like you earn, you know, you got to earn your gray hairs in, in so many ways. Like mm-hmm. that's a, it's one of my favorite um, like scripture passages from Maccabees when like they they pretty much offer the old i don't know who it was but the old guy like they offer him not to be martyred because he's like this leader of the community and his prayer is like lord let me be worthy of my gray hairs and like see this to to the end Hmm. and so um yeah like the existential crisis of my life the past three years has been losing my hair but uh, (laughs) um before i even even had a chance to go gray uh it's just like, you know, okay, like you just let it, let it go. But that's such a, I mean, that's such a real thing. I, I actually have gone to that passage like a lot over the years of, um, you know, you just become like you're becoming real in so many, in so many ways. Um, it's like, you got to earn, 
got to earn your gray hairs or let God like do it for you, whatever it is. But like you're a more real human being after hmm. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where like maybe we can come full circle to Father Gus. I think he's so impactful because he is just such a clear symbol. He's just such a clear icon of who of how God acts, of who God is. And talk about gray hairs, the guy that that's all he has. <laughs> yep, Except his good. eyebrows. I think they may be black. I think they're a little bit darker. Um, or maybe that's just his glasses frames. <laughs> but like he says God is always there. And he says that he loves God. And he lives always there loving us. Like th- just to to be able to have him on campus and to, to know people like that, like Father Hennessy and these guys that we kind of talk about pretty regularly. Um, yeah, they're, they are so real. They mm-hmm. are so real because they've lived the, a whole life, like given to the Lord, just constantly giving those, those little things to, to being led closer to God. Uh, well, I mean, similar, like the solidarity that Jesus can like rightfully claim to have with us in heaven is like a sim- similar solidarity that they can claim to have with us. Like that's been a huge fruit of spiritual direction of Father Gus is that it's not flashy and it's like sometimes the most basic insights and advice, but like you just know in your bones that you can trust him right? because he's been like, he's been through, he's been through it. Like he knows where you're at because like hmm. he just speaks with an authoritas that not many people in my life have. Yeah. Um, and you're right, like it translates to like that's an icon in the true sense of the word to God only because like Jesus can relate to wherever we're at. Yeah, I, I remember there was a, a moment in CPE when a family was losing a child and I didn't know what to do. Uh, I had I had met with them and they were kind of inside the curtain having their own family time. And I was just kind of left outside after I spoke with them and prayed with them and was just spending time with the nurses. And I, I knew that the baby was going to pass within sometime that day. Is this the one where you guys went out on the patio and everything? Um, this they... may have been that same family. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so it was earlier in that morning, right? Which it was is on the podcast as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just remember not knowing what to do. But wanting to be, just wanting to be there for them, like in case I needed to do something. And I had never really done anything like this. But, so I just kind of sat in a little rocking chair just outside the the curtain room that they had and just prayed the rosary and just sat there for like two or three hours hmm. and just prayed and like spoke to nurses and answered questions if I needed and the family would pop out. And they would just see me and like wave and I would wave and like let them know I was praying for them. Um, and like I had never really done anything like that before, but I knew that that's what I wanted a dad to be. That's what I wanted a priest to be for me. And so like I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that that's what I wanted to be sometime in the future. You know what I mean? Um, was just this presence that was there for them. So that whenever they pop their head out in the curtain and which I kind of saw is like, is he still there for us? Is he still there? Is he still praying? Is, is God still here with us? 
that even if they weren't asking those questions, that it was so overtly obvious that God was there with them. And if my presence as a priest can can do that for them, um, like that was something that I wanted to live into. And it was incredibly satisfying. Um, I wouldn't say it was the most productive thing. Like nothing actually got done, mm-hmm. quote unquote right. got done. But that family knew that I was going to be there with them, which I think set it up for like when we did have that procession out to the patio, they wanted me there. And I had no business being there, but because I had just kind of sat there with them, I think they felt like, hmm. um, yeah, you can you can be in these very, very special moments with us because you've been in all the monotonous ones. Even when we didn't need you, you were still there. Um, we knew that your presence was there. And all I did was just sit in a rocking chair. I mean, I was literally doing nothing. Um, but to have a priest who's like that, I guess that's what I want in a priest. And I see that in Father Gus and Father Hennessy and um, the great priests of my life is they are always there, just like the Lord is always there. Um, yeah, I can always go to confession. I could walk down right now and find <laughs> Father Gus and go to confession with him. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Good stuff, dude. You know, uh, speaking of Matt Damon from earlier, I Matt I referenced uh, the movie The Martian in my homily this weekend. Shut up. Are mm-hmm. you serious? When did you see it? Do you remember that whole exchange? Me and Rob almost stopped being friends over it. Mm-hmm. We kind of did. I'm not really. <laughs> You're not over, over it? it. Yeah. You don't remember this, dude? He freaking, I was just talking about a little effective movement I had on oh! the Martian, and it was like sound off time for old Father Bisk on oh, the Martian. Yeah. Yeah. I went off, but I wasn't thinking. Yeah, that it was a crappy there's a, movie. There's another one where it's like, why did I do that? Afterwards, was, it's like, why did I? We reconciled. I we reconciled. Yeah. But anyways, I, rec- I uh, did, did you just, did you just like talk about how bad of a movie it was yeah pretty much yeah, you shouldn't and how like i have yeah. a stupid friend who actually liked it yeah. if you had any positive emotions towards this movie i'm just going to tell you they're lies <laughs> just lay that out there right now uh, what did you talk about with it oh just briefly i i said um it was actually something this marist brother who's helping me with the youth group brother sam had said in a bible study with the kids on friday that the Bible is kind of like the Martian in the sense that everything goes awry in the first five minutes and the rest of the story is about the rescue mission huh. and getting people, getting the getting the person back, you know, getting us back home yeah. to wow. Eden. Hmm. And uh, I was talking about res- taking responsibility for other people's salvation, not just your own, that it's, a, it's this big rescue mission thing between Ezekiel and Jesus saying about calling your brother out and... And making sure that you're not just worried about yourself, that my salvation in some respect depends on your salvation. So we need to get everybody in the lifeboat. But so I referenced it only in passing. But I did mention I, at least one of the homilies that I mentioned it in. I said, I didn't like this movie, but <laughs> so I, I couldn't let it. Couldn't let you it can't let it go. No. Yeah, yeah you, can't, <laughs> you can't let it go. Yeah. All right, dude, bros. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. 
audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.